Well, turn with me, please, to Psalm 11. To follow this as we go through the Psalm of David. I've called this, When Things Fall Apart, Faith's Answer to Fear's Advice. When Things Fall Apart, Faith's Answer to Fear's Advice. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he comes to minister to us in the power of your Spirit, using his words to using your word to feed us and build us up and to challenge us and correct us and comfort us. We pray, Father, that 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 work would be done amongst us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, some years ago, the British band called The Clash uh, released a song called Should I Stay or Should I Go? Uh, it was actually originally released in 1982, but made uh, number one in 1991 after it was used in an advert for Levi Jeans. And some of you will know the, the chorus of the, the song. It says, should I stay or should I go now? If I go, there will be trouble. And if I stay, it will be double. <laughs> so come on and let me know, should I stay or should I go And there are times in life when we find ourselves faced with that question, times when that question, that very question, becomes a pressing question that keeps us awake at night. And often we find ourselves asking that kind of question when the foundations are shaking, when everything is falling apart. When we're faced with increasing stresses and strains at work. Should I stay or should I get another job? Or when there's trouble in the neighborhood where we live, should I stay or move away? Or perhaps there's difficulties at school, the school we're at, or the college or university we're at, or the course we're studying, or even in the church that we are part of. When everything falls apart and the foundations are shaking, should I stay or should I go? And people in Ukraine are facing that decision today, aren't they, literally? And some have already decided to leave, and some have decided to stay. And for those working as missionaries overseas, including the Buists, our mission partners, when trouble comes and everything falls apart, there is often an agonizing choice to be made. Should I stay or should I go? And it's at times like these we need to pray Paul's prayer, the prayer that he prayed for the Philippians in chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Where he says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Why? So that you may be able to discern what is best, that you may be able to know what is best. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best. Now, in Psalm 11, David is clear what his response should be, and that is to stay. That is to stay when the foundations are being shaken. But we need to remember that at other times, David did take to the hills. Uh, I mean, he he ran to the hills to escape from Saul. He wanted to kill him. Uh, He took to the hills to get out of Jerusalem when his son Absalom rebelled against him. And Jesus tells his disciples, Matthew 10, verse 23, when you are persecuted in one place, to another 
And later on in Matthew's Gospel, we've seen this in our studies in Daniel, Matthew 24, verse 15 and 16. When you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation that Daniel mentions, what does Jesus say? Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Run. So that means, and I was trying to say this earlier on in the service before we read the psalm, when we look at this particular psalm, we are looking at the response of faith and obedience in this particular situation. And the response of faith and obedience in this situation is to stay put. But at other times, the response of faith and obedience will be to run, or if you prefer it, to beat a strategic retreat. To beat a strategic retreat. Jesus never ran away from trouble or hardship, did he? He never let fear trump his faith. But he did withdraw. And he did hide himself at times from those who were seeking to kill him. It was a strategic retreat because his time, his hour, had not yet come. So bearing that kind of bigger picture in mind, then let's look at the specifics of this psalm. And I'm going to divide the psalm into four headings. Um, some of these headings I've borrowed or stolen from Dale Ralph Davis. But the first one is the affirm affirmation that faith makes. The affirmation faith makes, verse 1a. Secondly, the advice that faith hears, verse 1b to 3. Thirdly, the answer faith gives, verse 4 to 7a. And then lastly, the assurance that faith holds. So firstly, the affirmation faith makes. Secondly, the advice faith hears. Thirdly, the answer faith gives. And fourthly, the assurance faith holds. Firstly then, the affirmation that faith makes. Right at the beginning of the psalm, what does David say? Right at the outset, he declares, In the Lord, in Yahweh, I take refuge. Verse 1a, in the Lord, I take refuge. And in a very real sense, this is, the, this is the beginning, this is the starting point of all genuine faith. In the Lord I take refuge. If you and I are Christians today, it is because we can say by the grace of God, in the Lord Jesus Christ I have taken refuge. And let me ask you, are you able to make that affirmation today? Are you able to say that today? In the Lord Jesus Christ, I have taken refuge. David says, in the Lord, in Yahweh, in the God of the covenant, I have taken refuge, more secure than any air raid shelter or underground bunker. It is the Lord who is the sure foundation for our times. As we heard in our call to worship, Isaiah 33, verse 6, it is the Lord who is the sure foundation for our times. Can we say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. In the Lord I take refuge. That is the affirmation that faith makes. But secondly then, what is the advice that faith hears? Verse 1b to 3. We don't know exactly what situation David was in when this psalm was written, but he was clearly in danger. The, vic the wicked were standing in the dark, hiding in the shadows to fire their arrows, verse 2, just like snipers lying under the cover of darkness. And they've got the upright in their sights. 
And the upright in heart are those who trust in the Lord and those who obey the Lord. They are the righteous who live by faith in the Lord and love the law of the Lord. And it is they, the upright, who are under attack and David with them. But it all seems to be part of a bigger crisis, doesn't it? Part of a wider meltdown in the rule of law and order, in justice and truth and godliness. So we read in verse 3, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Uh, some of you will uh, know of Tom Holland, not the actor, but the historian who's written this book called the Dominion, the Making of the Western Mind. And Tom Holland, who's well, certainly wasn't a Christian when he wrote the book, unless he's changed to be converted since then. He's not a Christian a historian, but he, he's written this in this book about Western civilization. He said this, assumptions that I had grown up with about how a society should properly be organized and the principles that it should uphold were not bred of classical antiquity. In other words, it wasn't due to Rome or Greece. We're not bred of classical antiquity, still less of human nature, but very distinctively of that civilization's Christian past. You know he's saying? The assumptions that so many people live with in the West and here in the UK about how society should be organized, the principles it should hold, these didn't come, he discovered as he looked as a historian, not from Rome or Greece, not from so-called human nature, he puts it in inverted commas, but of that civilization's Christian past. But then he goes on to note, he goes on to note that that truth, that truth which he's just stated, and I've just quoted, has become hidden from view. But that's the thing about foundations, isn't it? They are hidden from view, foundations. But when they go, the whole building goes. I think some time ago I showed a photograph of a building on London Road in Glasgow where there had been subsidence and you can see the cracks in the buildings right down the window frames and through the whole building but the problems in the foundation. And we see that in our own society today with the Christian foundations being eroded. There is a cracking in the walls of society. A breaking apart not just of the norms that have held society together for, for centuries, really, but just a breaking apart of people within society, too. Things that we've taken for granted that have underpinned our civilization for many years. So the question remains, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can God's people, what can the righteous do? Now, before we look at the answer faith gives... Look at the advice that faith hears at the end of verse 1. Flee like a bird to your mountain. Now we've already noted that sometimes the right thing to do is to flee to the mountain. But here David discerns that this advice, in this particular situation, this advice is not the advice of faith, but the counsel of fear. The counsel of fear. And we should notice two things about this counsel or advice of fear. Firstly, it seems to come from a friendly source. And secondly, it tempts us to make an idol of self-preservation or personal security. Firstly, it seems to come from a friendly source. If you read the, 
the text, it sounds like friends warning David, doesn't it? Th these are not his enemies warning him about other enemies about to shoot him. These are, this is a friendly warning. And because of that, the temptation to listen to it is all the more dangerous. Um, a scholar called Henry Ellison, who was a contemporary of F.F. F. Bruce, Henry Ellison says this, the love of your friends will often create your most subtle temptations. The love of your friends will often create your most subtle temptation. Think of Simon Peter and Jesus. Jesus says, I'm going to suffer. The Son of Man must suffer and die. What does Simon Peter do? Takes him to the side and rebukes him. No, Lord, never. And what did Jesus say to him? Get, get thee behind me, Satan. Because Peter did not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man, the concerns of humankind. And one of the things of man, one of the concerns of humanity in our world, which can become an idol, is the idol of safety, or the idol of self-preservation, of personal security. When we say goodbye to each other, we often say, take care, don't we? I often say it myself, take care. Uh, some of you will know of Canon Andrew White, the vicar of Baghdad, um, as he's sometimes known. Canon Andrew White, who suffers from multiple sclerosis and worked for many years in the violence of Baghdad. And he says, he's quoting one of his mentors, I think, but he likes to say, don't take care, take, take risks. <laughs> don't take care, take risks. And it's sometimes said, isn't it, that how do you spell faith? Faith is spelt R-I-S-K. Don't take care, take risk for the Lord. Well, Dale Ralph Davis says this, uh, self-preservation is important, but when I assume it is all important, I have made it an idol. And we have probably crossed the idolatry line when we think we should take no risks. It is possible to make such an idol of security that you prize it more than God. The first line of the psalm says that in Yahweh, in the Lord, I am as safe as I ought to be. In the Lord, I am as safe as I ought to be. And I wonder, you know, has COVID, for some of us, has COVID experienced that idol in our heart? Of course we listen and we take sensible precautions. Does it become an idol? Um, well, what does David do? Well, David looks to the Lord, to Yahweh, in verses 4 to 7a for the answer that faith gives. The answer that faith gives. So we've seen the affirmation that faith makes. We've seen the advice that faith hears. And here, thirdly, is the answer that faith gives. The first question we should ask ourselves when we are in a crisis is not, what should I do? Should I stay or should I go? It is rather, to whom should I look? To whom should I turn? To whom should I look for help and strength and guidance? And the important thing, as Michael Wilcock has said, a commentator, the important thing is attitude, not location. It is attitude, not location. And in this psalm, David shows the attitude of faith. And the attitude of faith, the answer of faith, is 
The answer of faith to the advice of fear is to look to the Lord. To look to the Lord in two particular ways in this psalm. Notice this. He looks at the Lord's position rather than our own position. And secondly, he looks at what the Lord is doing and will do rather than what the wicked are doing. He looks at the Lord's position rather than his own position. He looks at what the Lord is doing and will do rather than what the wicked are doing. Well, first of all, then, what is the Lord's position? Verse 4, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. Uh, over recent months, doesn't always make the news, but there have been a lot of coups in West Africa. I don't mean the hairy type <laughs> uh, with calves. I mean the... Uh, Lots of governments being overthrown. Just this year in Burkina Faso, it used to be Upper Volta, there's been a coup when the government has been overthrown and replaced with another. But the Lord is still on the throne, even when the wicked are shooting at us from the shadows. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He has not gone AWOL, absent without leave. He has not fallen off his throne or been thrown off it in a coup, despite many laughable attempts. The one we worship is still in control, still worthy of our worship in his heavenly temple, still sovereign, still holy. His foundations, the foundations of his throne, have not been destroyed and will never be destroyed. This is the Lord's permanent position. He is Lord for life. And in his case, his life is forever. And when we are under attack in whatever area of life, we need to remember to look to the Lord and to his position. Uh, I came across a quotation from C.S. Lewis uh, this week. C.S. Lewis, I didn't highlight it, I think, in the notices, but the screw tape letters are being produced at the uh, CCC this coming Friday here in Inverness. And here's a, a quote from the screw tape letters from screw tape, the uncle writing... Uncle Devil writing to his nephew Wormwood, the junior demon. And uh, so, Screwtape says this to, uh, to Wormwood. It is funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. Say that again. It's funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. You can apply that in lots of ways today, but today I want to think about it. The devil wants us to forget that the Lord is on his throne. And the devil also wants us to forget that the Lord is not idle when it comes to the wicked. And the psalm here reminds us that we need to look at what the Lord is doing, not just his position, but what the Lord is doing rather than what the wicked are doing. And the psalmist tells us, look at the text, that nothing escapes the Lord's notice. Nothing. Second half of verse 4, he observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. And on the wicked he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their law. Proverbs 15 verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere. Keeping watch on the wicked and the good. 
He is the God before whom all hearts are opened and all desires are known, including yours and mine. He sees and knows everything about us. The wicked may think they are hiding in the darkness, but they might as well be in broad daylight as far as the Lord is concerned. He has perfect night vision. As they bend their bows and shoot their arrows from the shadow. Some years ago, um, uh, Nancy Griffith and Cliff Richard and Bette Midler all recorded the same song within a few weeks or months of each other. And it was the Julie Gold song, From a Distance. Some of you will, will know it. Uh, it has a pleasant tune, singable tune, but very bad theology. It says, from a distance God is watching us. Well, the Lord is watching us from heaven. There's no doubt that's true. That's what the psalm is saying. But he's not watching us in some kind of distant or detached or remote or uncaring or indifferent way. For he not only sees what is happening in this world, he is prepared to do something about it and will do something about it. About all the wickedness and all the evil and all the violence. Psalm 34, verse 15 and 16 says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to blot out their name from the earth. And that is the way to understand verse 5. That's the way to understand verse 5. Understand what the psalmist is saying there about the hatred of God. The language is used there to, well, you may say, isn't God a God of love? Yes, of course he is. God is love. But he is also a God of holiness. A God who is righteous and who loves justice, verse 7a. And if you love justice and righteousness, you will hate injustice and do something about it. A God who loves holiness is bound to hate sin. And although we like to separate sin from sinners, don't we? When you think about it, you can't really. When God judges sin, he judges the sinner who commits the sin. Men and women, boys and girls like you and me, on the day of judgment, on the day of judgment, there will not be a multitude of sins gathered before the throne of the Lord. There will be a multitude of sinners. And make no mistake, God is against us in our sin. Hell is real for unforgiven sinners. And the Lord will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur on the wicked who reject his kind and kingly rule. As surely as he did in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, sooner or later. Oh yes, thank God. Thank God that Jesus has come into this world to save sinners. But there is a day coming when Jesus himself will return to this world to judge everyone. And his judgment will be just. How do we know it will be just? Because nothing escapes his notice. Revelation chapter 6 makes it very clear, doesn't it, in verses 15 to 17, that the wrath of the Lamb of Jesus the Lamb is a terrible thing for anyone to face if our sins are not covered with the blood of the Lamb. How does it put it? Rich and poor alike are calling on the hills and the rocks to fall on them. Trying to imagine that? 
preferring we wish we would die in a landslide and be buried with rocks rather than face the wrath of the Lamb. We need to come to the cross of Christ for mercy and forgiveness. But the hope of the righteous, not the good living, the hope of the righteous, that is the hope of all who have put their trust in the Lord, have taken refuge in the Lord, and by his grace seek to follow the ways of the Lord, the upright will see his face. And that is the assurance that faith holds the assurance that faith holds at the end of verse 7, not because we are better than anyone else, but because we have come to the God who is against us in our sin, but who has come for us in Jesus Christ. For Jesus Christ is the only place to be when things fall apart, when everything comes under the judgment of a holy God. Where is the only safe place to be in a forest fire? The only safe place to be is where the fire has already burned. I was just reading last night, um, there's been a fire near Liverpool in the world, some marshland, a big um, kind of wall of flame. And to protect the houses, the, the, the fire services have made fire break. And one way you can make a fire break is to light a fire and to burn the grass so that when the fire comes to the age of the burnt grass, it goes no further. And in a bushfire or a prairie fire or a forest fire, the only safe place to be is where the fire has already burned. And for us, the only safe place to stand before a holy God is in Christ, the one in whom the fire of God's wrath has already fallen on the cross. So let me ask you again, as we did at the beginning, have you taken refuge in him? Have you taken refuge in Christ? And if so, you belong to the family of believers, of all those who are upright in heart. Sinners, yes, because we will be sinners to the day we die, but justified sinners. Those whom the Bible calls saints. The Lord's holy people who will one day see him face to face. For we know, doesn't the Apostle John say in his letter, we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him face to face. This is the assurance that faith holds. What can the Lord's people do when the foundations are being destroyed? We can run to Jesus and take refuge in him. We can remember that he's seated on his heavenly throne and sees all that is happening at all times. We can take comfort that one day he'll return to judge the living and the dead and that one day all wickedness and injustice and evil and suffering will be gone. We can rejoice that one day we will see his face. And in his face we will see the love that drew salvation's plan and the grace that brought it down to man. For you and for me, for our refuge and our salvation. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can run to you in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, and know that there is nothing in this world Nothing in death or life that can separate us from the love that you have for us in Christ Jesus. Neither famine or persecution or nakedness or danger or sword or bomb or bullet. 
Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the hope that we have in Christ that one day we shall be like him or we shall see him as he is and see him face to face. Amen.